Hey, dude. What's going on? Not much. Excited to do the pod today. I'm super excited, too. We have an international best-selling author on today. He's written seven novels. He's had New York Times bestsellers review his novels. Like, this dude is accomplished. His first one took him around seven years to write, which is a long time. How long did yours take? You told me you... You told me you wouldn't do that. <laughs> his took 12 years. Yeah, that's why he's mad. This is Luke's second story. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Second Story. I'm Josh Sabalski. With me, as always, Corey Lecky. Corey, hello. hello. What's going on? <laughs> Not much, man. What's up with you? Just living, man. Living, being out, outnumbered by my girls, just like our <laughs> guest today. So our guest today is Luke Murphy. Luke is the author of several books. He is also he was a professional hockey player a uh, sports columnist, a radio broadcaster, and now he is the international best-selling author of seven books with his latest being The Cradle Will Fall. Welcome to Second Story, Luke. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So we've wanted to get you on the show for a while. We actually, my brother was a go-between for us, so my brother had the chance to interview you a couple of times. Um, this one will probably be better, if I'm being honest, than the interview he would have done with you. Uh, <laughs> um, so we are titled Second Story, of course. So we usually like to start the show off just by talking to our guests about what they feel their second story would be. So what was the thing in your life that happened that sent you down a different path that you find yourself on maybe today or maybe you've already finished the path? Yeah, so um, I guess for me it is... Uh becoming an author. Uh, you know, I, I never really thought much about it growing up. You know, the only time I ever wrote was when my teachers made me. Um, so it wasn't really something I aspired to do or, you know, it was a hobby or anything. It was just, um, you know, I was always an avid reader. So that probably um, pushed me towards being an author. But uh, growing up, all I ever wanted to do was play hockey. And, uh, you know, that's all I really thought about. And, uh, that was my dream of being in the NHL someday. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it never really happened. I only ended up playing four games for the Panthers, and that was it. So, um, you know, there was, there's a lot of things in your life that happened, and then you look back and say, like, oh, I guess, you know, maybe that happened for a reason, or, uh, you know, it ended up being better than when you're going through it at the time, thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's a really bad thing. So... Now I feel it's a blessing, but back then it was, you know, certainly a, something I had to go through that uh, pushed me towards becoming an author. So that's interesting to uh, to kind of tear that apart. You know, a lot of people's stories that we talk to, um, it seems to be there's always an event that's at the time maybe not a good one. Uh, you know, something it can be, you know, something traumatic or something that is certainly. Uh, a big obstacle to overcome that sort of sends you down this different path that maybe in the end ends up actually being good. Uh, so you mentioned playing with the Panthers. So you were actually, you were with the Panthers through training camp, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I played four exhibition games with them. Yeah, yeah so you were, with, you were with them in training camp and ended up having the injury and you played minor league hockey or sorry, professional hockey for six years, right? That's correct. Yeah, I mean minor pro or semi-pro or whatever they want to call the minor leagues, uh, the farm system. Yeah, I was in under contract with the Panthers for three years 
Then I was under contract with the Ducks for a couple of years. And then I was just independent for a year before I called it quits. Um, you know, when, when Wayne Gretzky retires, he calls a big press conference. Well, Luke Murphy, there was no press conference. It was just, see you later. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it was certainly a, a tough decision to make to quit. Um, I was 30 years old. That's old in terms of professional sports. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be going any in any higher levels. So in 2005, it was the year of the lockout, the NHL lockout. And uh, I was playing in the United Hockey League. And I mean, I was making decent money. It wasn't, you know, uh, anything that you'd want to raise five, a family of five on or anything. But of course, there was a salary cap and the NHL guys were were locking out because they were only making millions. Um, and then they all started coming down onto my team. So Chris Chelios came down and then Darian Hatcher came down and Brian Smolinski came down. And every time one would come down, my coach would come to me and say, yeah, you know, would you mind taking a pay cut so we can get these guys into the lineup? And so, you know, the first couple of times it was fine. And then finally I said, well, you know, I, I can't make any less money than you're already, already paying me. It's not even worth playing now at this at this money. Yes, you're playing with some NHL guys. But uh, as I said, I was 30 years old, wasn't going anywhere else. Uh, you know, I was disappointed. I loved hockey. It was a part of my life. And, you know, it's getting paid to play a game that you love is, you know, incredible. Um, especially when you're playing down like in Georgia for three years, you'd you'd go to the ring for practice and go out to the golf course and then hit the gym. And it was like, you know, you're living the dream type thing. You know, growing up, I, I grew up around a lot of kids that were jocks and I'm sure you did as well being involved in hockey. Um, and I actually got bit by the writing bug a lot younger than you did. I was, I was probably 14 or 15 when I really started to get into it. And once I did, I actually felt myself like being very displaced. Like I felt like I didn't belong uh, with the group of people I was hanging out with because they were all into sports and things like that. And I was like, you know, did you guys read the, you know, the latest Grisham book or whatever, you know, the big book was at the time? Um, as you got later and you started to pick up the writing bug a bit, were you still surrounded by people who were, you know, heavy into sports or did you kind of feel like you were displaced a little bit with the people that were yeah. around you? Absolutely. Like even before being bit by the writing bug, as you called it, um, I was an avid reader. And I was still surrounded by people in sports. And, you know, we, we'd go on road trips and I'd be on the bus reading a book and the other guys would be playing cards or, you know, watching movies or, or doing something else. And um, it's just everywhere I went, I had a book with me. I just enjoyed reading. Uh, I, I'm a thick, you know, I enjoyed reading fiction. Um, it's just kind of you, you get lost in, in the novels and, you know, kind of get away from real life for a little while and follow in characters' footsteps and stuff. And uh, so when I got into writing, uh, it was the year, it was 2000. It was my second year pro. I was playing down in Oklahoma City and had an exhibition game against a team from California and um, got hit in the eye with a stick. I wasn't wearing a visor or anything. And uh, the guy took a shot and followed through and came up and hit me in the eye. And um, so... Long story short, I had a couple surgeries and uh, I'd lost vision in my eye for, you know, a month and a half or so. And, um, you know, as I said, a couple surgeries, but so I was done for the season. Uh, my wife, again, it was, she was my girlfriend at the time. She was uh, in university in Montreal and uh, 
she had a project to do a create create a creative a writing project and she knew I loved reading so she asked me to help her and email was just kind of coming out at the time and um, so we were doing this email thing and uh, back and forth and I was helping her create a character and and a plot and a setting and all that and when I had done helping her with that little project I just I really enjoyed it I had a lot of fun I said you know this might give me something to do I've got all this free time now and um, so I took the characters we created for her and I started writing a story with them uh, that story ended up being Kiss and Tell um, which was the second book I published so I ended up just writing a little every day and I ended up finishing this novel um, with no intention of publishing. I had no intentions of doing anything with this. It was just, as I said, it was a hobby. It was giving me something to do while I was home alone all the time. Um, so I let my sister read it, who, again, she's older than me, and she's, a very, she's an avid reader of uh, the types of books I like and the types of book I wrote. And she said, you know, this is pretty good. Like, maybe you should think about uh, publishing it. And I like, I was like, no, no, it's not good. Of course, I was comparing myself to like James Patterson and people I was reading, which is ridiculous like, to do that first time writer. But uh, so I said, you know, this isn't ready. This, you know, it's not near good enough for that. I was a bit of a perfectionist. And um, so I just kept writing, uh, took those characters, started writing a new novel. This That one ended up being Rockabye Baby, which was uh, my fourth book published and the second in the Charlene Taylor uh, series. Um, and again, I didn't think it was ready to publish. Um, so finally in 2005, I sat down and I said, you know what, I'm going to write this time with the intention of being published. I'm going to really focus on putting out something. I'm going to save up my money. I'm going to pay an editor. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to look for an agent uh, and go through the whole traditional publishing process. And um, so I did that. So Basically, just 2005, all I did was research the industry. I didn't write one word the whole year. Uh, I just researched, looked up agents, looked up publishers, you know, what are they buying? What are they looking for? What are readers looking for? Uh, checked out different genres, read books from the genre that I liked, uh, that I was planning on reading. Uh, and then 2006, I started plotting out the novel, uh, started with a character uh, and then a setting and, a, and you know, a, a problem and a solution. And I just started... Um, you know, just jotting notes down uh, again for the full year. And then I started writing at the end of 2006. Uh, and then, you know, I went through the whole process of finding an editor to work with. And that was another year. And then looking for an agent another year. Um, and then, of course, the agent would want to see changes to uh, the manuscript. So it was it was <laughs> a really long process. But, um, you know, to, just to tell it now, I, I really started uh, Dead Man's Hand in 2005. I, I say that's when I started because that's when I started researching the industry. Uh, and then I ended up publishing that in 2012. So it was a seven-year project. So you said that took you seven years. That's quite a long time. Uh, Josh, how, how long did yours take? Uh, Twelve years. Yeah, 12 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Someone has me beat. Look at that. So there you oh, go. Don't has... feel bad. <laughs> yeah, don't feel too bad. Somebody actually has me beat. We talked to a oh. gentleman last week, uh, Jody Ploche. He started writing his book in 90. What year was it? 95? Yeah. Was yeah, it 93? Yeah. I've got I have such a bad memory, but it was in the 90s and he only published it in 2019. 
Yeah, I was 19. Yeah, so it was to- like 24 years it took him to do did it. Did he but... self-publish or did he go traditional route, you know? Uh, I'm sure, actually. Good. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Like, he had a lot of push behind his because he's got quite a story. But I think he oh, was okay. like a – Yeah, I think it was kind of a uh, – it might have been like a hybrid publisher, to be honest with you. I'm not entirely well, sure. I'd have to look back at what it was. It's a nonfiction, then. Yeah, no, it's based on a it's based yeah. on a true story. Yeah, yeah. It's a, he was a pretty wild guy to talk to. It's very okay, very interesting. Yeah, story. that's again the fiction and nonfiction. Those are two two totally different beasts as well. Uh, For sure, yeah. And again, if you have some sort of platform and a push behind you, it it makes things a lot smoother for sure. So Luke, I do uh, video production and, um, you know, I've been doing that a long time and sometimes what I find, like, I feel like I've improved over the years, but I wonder sometimes if, if I'm just doing the things now that, that work right. And that, uh, people gravitate to, and, and I'll go back and look at previous works that I've done from years back. And I go, Mm -hmm. you know what? I took a lot more risks and, um, I did some more artistic or like interesting stuff when I look at that stuff. So when you look back at your books, like, would you say that your books are constantly improving or are there one or two that you hold a little bit more close to your heart? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I don't, that's hard to say. People say, people always ask me, which is your favorite book? I mean, it's, it's like asking me which with my kid is my favorite. Um, you know, I could answer on certain nights depending on their attitude and behavior, but um, overall, it's really hard to narrow it down to your favorite. Uh, I think probably the earlier ones you're more proud of because uh, since I write two series, um, you really put more work into the first couple of books to um, introduce your characters. You know, the later on the books, it's not too hard because your readers kind of have a grasp of who the, the, the characters are. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And again, people say, you know, which one do you recommend I read? Uh, and again, it depends on the person. Um, what normally, what I normally do is I recommend, um, a male reader to my Calvin water series and a female reader to my Charlene Taylor series. I know that sounds sexist, but that is the way I wrote it. Um, When I wrote my first novel, the Calvin Waters novel, uh, it's very gritty. Um, You know, he's a hardcore, big, strong black guy who's uh, a Vegas leg breaker. So it kind of happens in the red light district (laughs) of Vegas. And, uh, you know, it's it's more catered towards a man, even though a lot of women have fallen in love with Calvin because he is kind of a sweet guy when he's not breaking bones. But... Um, and then for the Charlene Taylor series, uh, you know, it just made sense for me to write from a female point of view. Cause I'm just surrounded by so many females. Um, you know, I'm, it's funny cause when I'm writing, I'm always asking my wife, you know, what would you do or what would you be thinking if this happened type thing? So, uh, and I've, I, you know, she has like a love interest in there. So again, I've kind of catered to, um, the female readership, which, you know, most, uh, you know, surveys have been done that says uh, most of the books that are bought are bought by females. So um, I think that was kind of a benefit for me to have uh, a f- female protagonist, um, because at that time, too, uh, I was really into the James Patterson uh, Women's Murder Club. Uh, they had taken off. 
uh, and they'd, they'd become like a series and movies and everything. And Hollywood was looking for, you know, female protagonists. And so, um, you know, I might have gotten a little commercial at the time uh, because I was trying to um, find readers, uh, trying to cater to a large readership. Um, but I was writing what I love to read. So I, and I think that's very important that, you know, I, I, I could never write a romance novel. I would have no idea. Uh, I don't read them. So I would have no idea what the readers would be looking for, what publishers would be looking for. Um, it, it made sense for me to write what I know, what I read, uh, you know, and what I would want to read as a reader. Uh, my favorite one to write was probably Wild Card, which was book two in the Calvin Waters, just because uh, it was set in uh, South America. And I had to do a lot of um, research on the rainforest. And it was just rainforest, such a cool place. And I found so many cool things. And it's just, it's a, it's a lot of action in that book. It's, it's, uh, it's more thriller than mystery for sure. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bad Workwear North America. They're a fashion-forward workwear brand from Australia with a wide selection of workwear for men and women that is not only durable, functional, but it is modern and stylish as well. With items like slim-fit work pants, waterproof hoodies, as well as a robust women's line, you're sure to find something that you'll love. They offer free returns and exchanges on all orders, and listeners of this podcast can head on over to badnorthamerica.com Use the promo code SECONDSTORY at checkout to get 10% off their first order. Again, head on over to Bad North America. Go treat yourself to some new gear. There's a lot a lot from your comments that has me thinking about a lot of different things. One of the things you mentioned was like, as an author, you're always kind of concerned about your next book being better than your last one. I'm actually going through that right now. I have a book coming out in February, and it'll be my second book. And my first one was pretty well received, I'd say, nice. by everyone except Corey. But he can't read. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> I think I had um, it upside down the whole time I was reading it. That's the problem. <laughs> Waiting pop, for the audio. Yeah. 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 He wouldn't want to listen to my voice. He does that enough. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is it is like a real genuine fear. I almost feel like, a you know, you, you look at like rock bands that have a monster album the first time around and then they all have to go back into the studio and try to recreate what they did the first time that's kind of what i felt like like obviously i'm not a rock band i didn't have the kind of success a rock band would have but i went into writing my second book honestly terrified about like what if what if it was like you know i i don't know i had kind of like imposter syndrome i guess like what if it was a fluke and people realize that i'm a dummy and i don't actually know what i'm doing i just got lucky the first time around so that's a real fear that that i have um you know and as an author it's something that i really marvel at with you uh, looking at just from 2012 till now, you've put out seven books. I look at the pace that you're able to do it. And I honestly just marvel at it because, you know, it took me 12 years to write my first book. It took me three and a half to write my second one. I'm getting quicker at it, but I look at what you're able to do. And I'm, I'm like, how is it possible? What's your process? How do you, how are you able to pump out a book every year and a half or so? See, it's funny you say that. Cause I feel like I'm slow. I feel like, <laughs> wow, I, I, you know, when I first started out, my goal was to publish a book every year, right? Like that was, uh, and again, you start comparing yourself and you see like James Patterson pumps out one a month and I know he's not writing them. He's just kind of writing his name down and other people, he's got a whole team of writers. But um, for one, like uh, this is a great question because it, it kind of has a, a couple of parts to it. Um, a fear for me 
and you're right to, to be nervous about your second book coming out because you've got all these great reviews and it's like you don't want to let anyone down now. They've had, they, the expectations are higher now, right? Not just of you, but your readers. Um, so my biggest fear was if Luke Murphy takes two or three years to have a new book coming out, he's going to be forgotten, right? All those people that I, that I worked hard to get to read my, my novel, you know, they're all over the world. Uh, they're going to forget about me like if I don't have another novel coming out soon, right? So that was a big fear of mine that if I go too long in between books, I'm going to lose all my readers that I work really hard to, to get, right? Finding time now is is crazy with, with three children all at that age where they're playing sports. Um, yeah. So in 2012, you know, I didn't have any children. I was... Um, Sorry, I only had two little babies, uh, and they so they weren't in sports or anything. So I had lots of time um, to write. Uh, but summers are are big for me, right? With no school, I only tutor a couple days a week uh, for a few hours. Um, so so summers now are really important. I try to I try to write a, a full um, first draft in a summer in the three months. I try to be able to write just my full uh, first draft. And then I spend all summer, all winter editing. Uh, so I use the hours, the wee hours in the night when I get home uh, from wherever uh, to do all the editing, the second, third, fourth drafts. Uh, and then I use three editors um, that I'm very um, confident in, uh, that I respect and appreciate uh, their work. So I've used the same three editors. Even when I was traditionally published, I used these three editors before I sent it. Uh, to the agent and publisher. So um, I'm very fortunate that and they haven't really raised their prices much. So I was, I'm, I guess, because I've been with them long enough that uh, I've got the grandfather clause in place, maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, to be honest, it's really hard. That's my biggest obstacle is finding time. I mean, I have lots of ideas, like I've never suffered from writer's block. And the good thing, the positive about being self-published is I don't have deadlines. Like when I was traditionally published, it was stressful to get, you know, your agent had deadlines, your editor had deadlines, your publisher had deadlines. Like you were constantly on edge because the deadline was nearing and you weren't almost done. And it was like, uh, I, of course, I have readers waiting for another book, but, um, you know, I don't put that added pressure on me. Because someone said, you know, how long, how many books are you going to write? How long is it? I said, until it stops being fun. Like when it starts feeling like a job or I'm stressed out and, and not enjoying it, I just won't do it anymore. But um, right now I just, I love writing. It's, it's, it's a passion. I, I mean, uh, Josh, I'm sure you feel the same way about writing. It's, you know, it's something you enjoy to sit down and do. And um, yeah, it's, I'm going to do it as long as it's still fun. Yeah. Were, so you were, before you were writing books, you were actually an award-winning uh, journalist as well. You were writing sports, right? You wrote a sport, you were a sports columnist yes, um, and you did radio too. How do you think that helped you in your writing for books? Well, it kept me writing and, and that's what I tell other writers, you know, when they ask for advice, I said, just try to write a little bit every day. Like try to, try to get into the habit of uh, sitting down and being able to write and, and those jobs gave me that opportunity. Um, 
you know, with the sports columnist, that was the best of both worlds for me. I love sports and I love writing. It was just made total sense. My editor at the newspaper was, you know, really, um, you know, wide, wide open, gave me the reins. Like they, you know, they're very flexible and let me write whatever topic I wanted. The odd time they would give me a topic, but most of the time I could write on any topic I wanted. And basically it's just giving your opinion. Um, so being a sports columnist was excellent. Uh, the, the whole reporter thing, that was, that was something different. Um, I was working at the mill in Portage and it ended up closing down. Um, and so I decided to go back to teacher's college, but I had to wait a year, uh, to get in and for it to start. So I needed a job for a year and this, this, I saw this job at, uh, Fort Calandra radio station and it was, you know, it was, you had to be bilingual. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't call myself fluently bilingual. I can get by. Uh, so that was certainly different interviewing, uh, people in French and, and stuff. Uh, so that was, that was a very interesting job and it was fun that there wasn't as much writing in terms of that. Cause a lot of, um, speaking, uh, but I was able to write articles for uh, the, the, the DJs on, on air to, to read stuff out. So um, that, again, was a little bit of writing. And, and you know, it, it was a really neat experience, something that a lot of people don't really get to uh, experience. But uh, that, that was a fun time. I met a lot of great people, uh, saw a lot of cool things. Um, and I got to, you know, to meet uh, different people, uh, in terms of interviewing. Uh, and after I was there for a little while, the, the owner of that, the, the radio station was again, wanted me to come up with ideas. And I, cr- I started a uh, section where I would interview authors online. And that was really cool. I had like a lot of uh, Canadian novelists, Linwood Barkley and uh, Rick Moffina and, and a lot of well-established uh, Canadian authors, uh, and I was able to interview them, and I got to meet a lot of them. Uh, it was that was a really cool experience. Josh and I both noticed that uh, you know navigating this kind of new world with social media and everything that you're a very good self-promoter. Um, I also saw that you have a bachelor's in uh, marketing and sociology. Has that helped with getting the word out about your book and self-promotion? <laughs> that's, that's funny you ask because my wife makes fun of me all the time. But uh, those <laughs> degrees uh, I got in 1996. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, you know, ICQ. There was no uh, social media <laughs> and there was none of that stuff, right? It was... Was MySpace out then or... No. You know, I have no idea what what marketing would be today, right? So I've never ever used any of those in any jobs I've ever had. Um, but I, I think um, the courses I took uh, really allowed me to um, become more social. Uh, like I was never a real person who could like speak in front of crowds. And, uh, but a lot of those, uh, like when you, even when you take like a course like sales, we had to do a lot of um, like trying to sell things in front of the class, uh, things like that. So it made me a better public speaker, some of those things. So I think social media is great when you want to reach worldwide. Uh, I certainly, Twitter has probably been my, my best 
form of social media in terms of selling books to uh, people worldwide. Um, again, locally, word of mouth is is huge. Um, you know, the local media is so great. Uh, like Josh, like your brother has been uh, amazing to get me on my FM all the time. Every time I have a release, uh, newspapers, radio stations. Um, you know, I've been on CTV news, uh, like television. Um, so locally, um, again, social media is probably not gonna gonna do it for me locally, but uh, that has been huge. And, and I mean, Amazon has, you know, Amazon just allows you to reach uh, anywhere worldwide, and it's and it's such an easy um, easy website to to publish your novels on. Yeah, I don't think I publish my book without Amazon existing. And yeah, they're the big bully that a lot of people don't like. Yeah. But for me, yeah. I probably don't have the start of a writing career without them. So I'll uh, I'll take it. Um, you teased last week, speaking of social media, you teased last week on your Facebook about a potential movie like would you like to see you know your characters on the screen and that's something that that's actually right in Corey's and, and my wheelhouse we actually met in film school and that's something oh. i've been trying to get a tv show made for when did we graduate film school 2007 <laughs> so for since then i've been trying yeah. to get a tv show made yeah and we actually uh, adapted uh my book second story work into uh -huh. a tv series that we've tried to pitch we've been rejected by i think everywhere in canada now <laughs> at this point <laughs> um yeah. but for you, I actually read that you've start you've adapted some of your books into screenplays as well. What what did you think of that process? How did you find it in comparison to actually writing a book? Oh man, I found it a lot harder. But um, so in, in interesting story. Um, again, none of this would have happened without social media. Um, so a screenwriter from <clears throat> from New York. Um, he started following me on on Twitter and never really thought much about it, but. Um, and we started just having back and forths about the Buffalo Bills because we were both Bills fans. Like we never talked about anything about books or movies or anything. And we just started talking about uh, the Bills, how, you know, we're diehard fans and we've been losers our whole lives, basically. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so and then one day, like I, I always get comments from readers saying, you know, this would be awesome, a movie or you know, the Calvin Waters would make a great character on screen, etc. Um, but I never really thought, of course, it would be a dream come true. Every author is, you know, that would be a dream to have their, their book turned into a movie. So I never really thought much about it because I had no idea how to write a screenplay. Uh, and I still really don't. I, um, but the screenwriter one day sent me a private message saying, you know, I've read all your books and um, he talked about them. So he's not lying. He did read them. Um, and he said, if you ever considered, you know, turning these into, into a movie or screenplay, um, you know, I'd love to be a part of that project. And, you know, I, I said, okay, well, you know, give me a call and let's talk about it and see, you know, I'd like to see what you have in mind type thing. And it wasn't going to cost me anything, right? Just my time. Uh, we'd be, we'd be doing it all online and through zoom meetings and things. Um, so we met and he was kind of going through, uh, he, he wanted to, to, you know, to write Kiss and Tell. And he said he had some really cool ideas about um, how to make it look better on screen uh, because there are a lot of scenes I didn't realize you can't just take the book and put it into a screenplay and it's there, right? He, you know, there's stuff that needs to be added that makes it visually appealing to, 
to, to people watching. So we, you know, it took us about a year to, to, to put uh, kiss and tell into a screenplay. Uh, and then we, we started looking for agents and we happened to have one who was interested in representing it. And uh, we signed a contract with her and, uh, you know, and so this past weekend she was at the American film market and uh, trying to shop it around. So I haven't heard from her uh, since, Uh, you know, she told us she had a bunch of meetings with Netflix and Sony and, uh, um, uh, um, there was a bunch of a bunch of them uh, paramount and uh, i don't know she she gave me the list of who she was meeting with and after we'd finished that uh my writing partner and i i guess i call him my writing partner but um he he wanted to do more so we, we started another project writing a series um not nothing to do with my novels uh just we're coming up with our own ideas for a series uh and we 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 finished the pilot episode but uh, we haven't really shopped that around or done anything with it it was just uh, something we had an idea about and wanted to try but the social media post you probably saw was my agent who had created a mock poster uh, of of the the movie the kiss and tell we, we retitled it the devil inside um, so yeah I, I mean I should not have posted that because I've gotten so many comments from people wondering what when it's coming out. I'm like, no, no, no. It, that was just that was just a, a mock poster that nothing has happened. Uh, and I had to explain it over and over to people. I'm like, oh my god. Even my dad called me like, you're having a movie? Like, no, no, I don't have a movie coming out, Dad. Don't worry. Uh, it was just a mock poster my agent did. How have you found uh, so going from writing on your own? to writing with a partner because it's very different and especially taking one of your novels that's already written that's kind of like your baby as you said earlier and potentially changing some things there was some tension in a few meetings um you know like i said that was i put my blood sweat and tears you know not to to, you know a blood sweat and tears into that book and um but i'm pretty flexible uh like I just want to make money, right? I mean, if you know, if if a, if a movie company buys and say, "Yeah, we want to change this, this, and this," okay, like you know, pay me and yeah, type thing. But is the check going to um, clear? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Better make sure that clears. Um, yeah. yeah, no, you know, we he, he was pretty good about it. Like he he'd give an idea, but he'd always say, you know, you know, this is yours, right? This is your book. So if you're not comfortable with this, and We'll, we'll go a different direction. So, um, you know, a few things he'd say he'd had an idea for and I was was against it and he was okay with that. So, but you know what? Everything's better with success, right? If it, it happens to sell, then yeah. you know what? Then it was a success. If it doesn't sell, it was just like a fun project to do. Yeah. Same, was, same question for you, Josh. Like, how was that for you, that process? <laughs> Dude, do you remember how angry I got as we were doing it? And not like the reasons you would think. I got... So we went into a meeting and it was the two of us and our writing partner, Chad Nolan. And I basically said, all right, we're going to meet in a week, tear the book apart, come up with your ideas. And we went in and I'm like, all right, boys, give me your give me your ideas. And Corey started laying his out and then Chad laid his out. And I literally smashed my fist on the desk. I was like, 
God damn why it. Didn't I think, why didn't I think of any of these? <laughs> like they're all they're all like right there in front of me and I just didn't touch on any of them in the book and I got so mad at myself for missing it. But it was a really good experiment for my next books to be like just be really wide eyed and like a lot more like hyper aware of where things could actually lead. Cause I, I feel like there was a lot of unexplored territory in my first book. And I'm like, man, did I miss the boat? And my first book was, I think pretty good, but boy, <laughs> after that meeting, I was like, whoa, it could have been a lot better. Yeah. So this, this writing partner of mine, he gave me some ideas in the book. I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have thought of that. Cause this is a nice twist to the story that I wish I would have yeah. had originally, but <laughs> Um, so, it, so it did change a little bit. I mean, obviously the characters and plots stayed the same, but there are certain scenes that have switched around that I think they were better uh, with the, the the screenplay. I know that most people will watch a movie based on a book and say, you know, the book's a lot better, et cetera. But um, there are some pretty cool scenes in the screenplay that I think are better um, in the screenplay than they were in the book. Uh, can I ask you guys couple questions like i know that you've been yeah, asking please. me but do you mind yeah, go for it um so you were saying that you guys have got rejected by a lot of did, did you go to like agents or movie companies in just in canada did you explore the states or other countries what who did you guys reach out to so for me i've been trying since 2007 so i actually lived in vancouver i moved to vancouver oh. after film school so I attempted to, I had a TV show I had written and TV hadn't really exploded back then. Um, so it was very much at that time an Americanized thing. Um, so I, I moved out to Vancouver, uh, you know, was around film sets, was around a lot of people, just didn't really gain any traction. And then the, the economy kind of fell apart. So I ended up moving back home. Um, but yeah, a lot of what I've tried to do is, you know, I've gone the route of trying to reach out to production companies. Generally, they're like, go through an agent. And then you go to an agent and they're like, well, have you sold anything to a production company? And it's this giant game of like chicken and egg. Like, well, I got to get yeah. an agent to get my foot in the door. And they're like, well, you need you need to have some sales to a production company. And I'm like, well, I need you to do that. <laughs> like, it's, Yeah. So that's that's sort of been my experience for like the better part of 16 years. And you've tried going direct to Josh did pretty much all that. So you, you try going direct to like Crave TV and different places like that, too, didn't you, Josh? Will they even accept? Uh, so Netflix did, Crave did, and uh, Sphere Media out of Montreal did as well. So they were all willing to accept um, submissions. The submissions, the guidelines you have to follow are very tight. Like you can't give too much of your information away because they don't want to worry about like copyright infringement and stuff yeah, like that. Right. So it's very bare bones what you actually submit. Um, I submitted to a couple other companies. I got one... So I got all rejection letters. I got one letter for a full pitch package, which was then rejected. So we yeah. we got to first base on that one. But yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty much the experience with, with my book, at least. It's such a frustrating um, situation. Like, I mean, the publishing industry is the same way. I mean, I could see how writers would give up. It's just... You know the form rejection letter after form rejection letter it's like you you, you think like did they even read it like or they did just you know send the rejection letter so as you said it makes no sense um they want someone um with experience right like they said oh you need an agent to publish a book but then they want to they want you to have books published before they'll take you on as their age as your agent right so it's like, well, you need one for the other. How are you supposed to do it? And 
it's just a really frustrating project. And I think a lot of writers fall through the cracks. Um, a lot of them turn to self-publishing, right? I think yeah. that's kind of key though now, right? Like n not even just self-publishing as far as books go, but I think self everything. Like um, I have a friend who's a producer and he, or well, I guess he started out as a screenwriter and he ended up getting some like government, a little bit of government funding and was able to shoot a pilot. And now he's actually become the showrunner on that show. And it's like, how did you do that, man? And the way he did it was he got a big star involved. Like a friend uh, knew this star and he was able to get him to kind of be selling for him. Right. So yeah. I think that's kind of key is to do things like this, where you're talking with people, you're networking, you're getting yourself out there, you're on social media, you're just uh, constantly self promoting to the point where you find a friend who knows somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to think like, there's never been a better time, like with all these streaming services now, like they've got to be looking for content. They've got to be, they've got to be on the hunt. I mean, all, there's so many different, they're competing with each other. They got to be looking for material. Uh, you'd think this is the best time to get involved in it. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually do think it is too. And a lot of people will say like, Oh, it's, you know, the gatekeepers and things like that. I actually think, you know, outside of maybe the seventies, like seventies, you could literally, you could be like sliced alone and walk onto a film set and be like, <laughs> I have a screenplay. And they're like, wow, look at the look of you. Sure. Let's make Rocky. Boom. Academy Awards. Like that's Stallone's story. There's a lot more to it than that. But yeah. I don't, I think between like that and like now, maybe in the last couple of years, the gates have been blown wide open and it's hard for the gatekeepers to keep people out. It's just a matter of like, you got to sort of rub shoulders with the right people who can sort of make things happen. And, you know, people who can make things happen are a lot more accessible than they used to be. It's just a matter of like finding them out and finding the right point where you can actually get in contact with them and have them, you know, appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because once we had the screenplay ready, we were like, we're going to take on the world. You know, <laughs> we found an agent and then all of a sudden the strike happened. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> what yeah. timing. And then we had yeah. to wait for that all to play out, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, there's one thing after the other. It's oh, yeah, yeah. And it's really it's tricky now because you know we talk about the gatekeepers no longer having control. Everything's kind of decentralized. But also, like where they can find profitability has really changed. So, like mm -hmm. ten years ago, so an actor like Edward Norton could make a movie, and they'd give him you know thirty or forty million bucks, and he'd make a movie, you know, like. I don't know, The Illusionist or something like American History X, he'd make that movie, it would make money, everybody's happy. But nowadays, those movies don't make money. Not the 30 or 40 million that they, they used to. You got to make a superhero movie or you got to make something that's a franchise, a series, what have you. You have a series. Like, you have two series, actually. Yeah. So I don't know if, like, if movies the way you're going, you got, you know, if the first one makes money, you've got, you know, locked and loaded, you got your sequels. So there may be an avenue there. To be honest, like, in your, you know, your stories tv is certainly something especially like canadian tv seems like the most accessible at least from what i've seen and that's what i've said to Corey with what we write i feel like canadian tv is the one that is the most accessible um i've tried for years one person i've tried to reach out to is you ever watch the show uh da, v da vinci's inquest it was a canadian show on cbc no I i've tried 
I've tried for years to get in touch with the guy who created that show. No luck. He's like, it's like a wall around him. But that's a guy. He's not doing anything right now. It's like, hey, you want to do something? Maybe here, here, here's a series. It's Canadian. It's in Vancouver, which is yeah. you know where he's from. But there's no way to get in touch with him. That's a you know kind of the thing where I can't get to him. But right, it is what it is. Yeah, and you you try to go around the whole agent thing and. Um, some, as you said, some places will accept uh, unsolicited material, but you know the majority doesn't. So it's it's frustrating for sure. And agents, uh, everyone's looking for an agent, so it's like they're bogged down, and it takes months and years to even get a response. And it's like, oh, frustrating. To be honest with you, Luke, like that—that's kind of the reason we started this podcast is to. Like, obviously, we want to hear people's stories and and be inspired and be able to pass that on to other people who are, you know, building themselves up. But another selfish uh, component to this is we're looking to network with people, um, basically kind of work our way up to the point where, Josh, you can reach out to the creator of Da Vinci's Inquest and say, hey, you want to come on our pod? And that's an easier ask than, hey, you want to read my script? Yeah, no, yeah. that's perfect. And, so, and yeah, going back to when I worked the radio station, I, I created that where I got to interview authors, right? And then, right. <clears throat> excuse me, some of those offers eventually gave me reviews for my novels, right? Because I made that mm-hmm. connection. I noticed that, that you had a lot of bestsellers reviewing your novels. Is that yeah, yeah. from that? Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um and that's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole process. The, the publishing process is reaching out to authors um, to get their feedback type thing. Uh, I know my wife will say, like, I'm almost impossible to live with the, the days uh, up until I publish, uh, release the book. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm just a ball of stress, like like Josh, worried that this novel is going to be a bomb and nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to want to buy it. But then once those reviews from the authors start coming in, like authors I've read and authors I look up to, um, and they start giving me, you know, feedback about how much they liked it, it starts giving me a little more confidence and I I feel a little better about releasing the novel. So, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. Some of those authors I just sent emails to, um, like hoping that they would respond, right? And they did, like, um, that's awesome. I, that's really I, I know, like, like I said, I have some New York Times bestselling authors who've, who've responded to me and, and uh, offered to read my work and, and, and give me feedback, that's... which was pretty incredible. Um, you know, you get a lot of assholes, right, too, that will say, you know, yeah. I don't read self-published authors or um, yeah. My, my publisher doesn't allow me to read other material or whatever my agent doesn't or whatever. But, um, but the majority, you know, like 85% of the authors I reached out to were really nice either, you know, saying they would, or, you know, they just didn't have enough time or whatever. But, um, I was very fortunate with some of the reviews I got that you know, sometimes I still look back and read those and I'm like, was this really this guy or was it just some assistant? <laughs> or something? But, um, no, I was I was very fortunate. I, I I'm thrilled with the reviews I've gotten. I think we forget that a lot of time those people started. They had to start out too, right? Yeah. And they probably had someone else that that they you know step laddered yeah. from. Exactly. And right. they probably do think back on that and go, you know what? I I want to help this guy out. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'm grateful for it for sure. But like, yeah, you're probably totally right that they've got help when they were first starting out and they know how important it would be for me, right? I've started to think about that more and more as I've networked with people and asking people to come on the show. And it's, it is kind of like sales. It's like marketing too. But I'm like, you know, if I ask this person and they say no, financially, I'm in the exact same spot I was before I asked. Emotionally, maybe I'm in a little, little different place, but mostly the same place. And, you know, I get to keep my house. I still have cars. I still have my family. You know, we're all good. What did I really lose by asking somebody and having them say no? And I think people are really afraid of rejection. And I'm sure, Luke, you went through this. You've talked a little bit about it with your book. But that was something that really held me back for a lot of years from actually releasing my book was just the fear of all the rejection. And I'm so over that now. I'm like, I'm almost 40. I don't care really, you know, if people hate it, you know, it'll hurt me a little bit for maybe a week, but I'll get over it. Absolutely. When I first started, I, I kept all the rejections in a separate document file uh, on my email. It, I, every single agent and publisher that rejected it, I put it in there and I said, someday I'm going to go through these and send you a little um, follow up to that email. But yeah, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me you now. You should frame them. You should print them off. Frame them. <laughs> you can bring it with you to the movie premiere. Just have this giant <laughs> yeah. coat made of all the rejection letters. The red uh, carpet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Just a giant uh, duster full of rejection letters. That'd be that'd be something worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I said to Josh, like, as soon as you start getting negative reviews, that's actually a sign that you're outside of your friend group. You've made it. Yeah, it's true. You've made it. You've made it. <laughs> yeah. You're you your friend group at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. You just hope it's it's constructive. Like, you don't want right. it to be like this, you know, this guy's a douche or whatever. You want it to be like <laughs> yeah. something something that's actually constructive. I didn't like, you know, the suspense was lacking or something like that. That would be much better than, you know, I just don't like the look of this guy or what have you. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask this, Luke. So, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Jeez. Like, I think it'd have to do with the rejections. Like, you know, just use those to drive you, right? Don't, you know, back when you're starting and you get those rejections, like Josh said, it, it stings, right? Like, it's, you think you've, you've put together a, a decent manuscript and and then people are just ripping it apart, you know? Uh, you, 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 you have some self doubt then. um, it, it certainly creeps into your mind that, okay, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I should be doing something else. Um, but you should use those rejections to, to motivate you to, to work harder, uh, to drive you forward. Um, certainly that's what I would tell myself, uh, because I know there were, there were a lot of down days when you get those rejections and then you, you'd, your hopes would get up for the next one and then you'd get another rejection and was, it felt like it, it would never happen. Right. Um, that's why they created this. Writers yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, 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 it's funny cause on parent teacher, uh, interviews, I always tell my parents, SAQ cards, the greatest gift ever. SAQ is the liquor store in Quebec. Um, yeah. The, the gift card. Um, uh, yeah, no, just, you know, don't give up. Don't don't stress over things you can't control. Um, just worry about the things you can control and, and keep keep writing every day. Uh, stick with it and uh, enjoy the process. 
Yeah, that's really good advice. I try to tell myself all the time, just worry about what's on the page. Everything else yeah. just doesn't really matter. Just focus on what's on the page. So uh, I think you kind of answered it there, but I, I guess if um, if anyone were to come watch this podcast with you on it, what would they take from it? Um, I don't know. I think it's just three guys who are just kind of, you know, laid back and just kind of chilling and talking. You know, it's, it, it's funny when I was younger and I picture an, an, an author, I picture someone smoking a pipe with like a, like a Hugh Hefner robe on and, you know, by a fire with slippers on. And, you know, we're just normal guys that, that enjoy writing. And, uh, I, I hope that's what people take from this are just three guys who are passionate about, uh, not just writing, but the whole industry, right. Uh, and are trying to, uh, improve ourselves, um, you know, hone our craft and we're trying to, to find success any way we can. And, um, for you two, I, I, you know, you two are giving me an opportunity to tell my story and to gain followers and, and vice versa, right? We're, we're kind of like, we're all in this together. And I think that's a lot of authors um, kind of think that they're competing with other authors. And I, I don't believe that at all. I mean, there's, you know, readers can read as many books as they want. They don't have to read just one author, uh, one author, right? So, I think more people need to work together like this. Like you guys give me a chance to, to come on and, and be part of your social media uh, broadcasts and stuff. And um, I think that's what people will see here. It's not a zero sum game. You know, we're not on a desert island. You can't take just one book with you. So yeah, yeah. I, I hope everybody reads your stuff, reads my stuff. And if Corey ever learns to read, they, he can put a book out too. That'd be good. <laughs> more pictures. Maybe I'll read your book someday, Josh. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully the proper way. You want to plug your stuff before we get out of here? People can find me on uh, on my website, uh, authorlukemurphy.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, author Luke Murphy or author L Murphy. Um, yeah, and you, you can purchase books on my website, but they're all available on Amazon. Thanks, Thanks so much for doing the show too. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you guys. And uh, for anyone out there that's watching this on YouTube, uh, we're on every podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on any, anywhere that you can get your podcasts. And for anyone that's listening to this in the audio version, please go to YouTube, watch us, like, and subscribe.